Today, I want to talk about this matter as we've discussed uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit. After Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life is the goal of all of God's activity. Things aren't finished. Things aren't over, if you will, with the incarnation. Things aren't finished. They're not over with, with Easter. Things aren't over and finished with the resurrection. Things are over and finished and completed, if you will, at Pentecost. And so kind of at this end stage, <clears throat> I want to deal with a couple of things. And I want to kind of start with or, or, or begin with this idea of, you know, we're going to move on to some other things. But I want to ask you to do this. And I know for anybody of our English teachers that we have in here, I'll be in trouble. But I want you to stay woke. <clears throat> <clears throat> Now, you know, I asked my wife this morning, now, Becky doesn't go on social media much. She um, is smarter than I am, <clears throat> you know. I just get on there and just keep saying the back of my head, don't post, don't post, don't post. Uh, <clears throat> but this idea, there's a movement, if you will, of stay woke. In other words, there's a, an idea of <clears throat> calling people to say, look, there are problems in our country, there are problems in our world. Quit forgetting about them after an election or quit forgetting about them after two weeks. Uh, I was telling Becky this morning, every time I hear someone talk about that we're going to fix the educational system, I remember Barry Goldwater in 1964. <clears throat> Anybody? Some of y'all are old. <clears throat> Some of y'all are old. That was part of the platform in 1964 to fix the educational system in America. Somebody didn't stay awake. <clears throat> right? So I actually, I just have you know that I went to a website and I took a test. And I am generally awoke, but I'm napping some. <laughs> you can <clears throat> actually, not that I recommend you do that, but, but this idea of staying woke. Now, in our culture, there are issues we need to deal with like that. But think about in our own lives, how that we go to sleep, how that we don't stay woke, if you will, in daily living with Jesus. I, I, that's why I have, I've told you, <clears throat> and my phone I have a list of things every morning at 6.15 that come up to remind me. And I've encouraged you to end this matter about the Holy Spirit. What I do every morning, you don't have to do it, but I'm a, most of us drink coffee, you know, that are Christians. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know how the early church did without donuts and coffee. I'm worried about that. <clears throat> but every morning as I fill my coffee cup, I have on my phone to remind me because I'm ADD. I'm actually ADD in HD, high definition. Uh, I don't just have ADD. That's, that's that general stuff. But as I'm pouring my cup of coffee, I'm being reminded right then of Ephesians 5.18 to be being filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Something to keep me woke, to at least bring to the conscious level that this matter about the Holy Spirit, about Christian living, isn't something just to celebrate at Pentecost or isn't just something on the church calendar but it's something that we can and ought and should and maybe will continue to stay woke to. Now, if you want to go look at this in Ephesians 3, uh, Paul has this great statement. He says, Awake, O sleeper, for the Christ has dawned upon you. All, all of us have this tendency to go to sleep or to not stay woke. So when you talk to people, you can say to them, Hey, you know what? I'm in the stay woke deal. I'm staying woke here, if you will, about having Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, to help me, guide me to be the kind of person that lives in his power and not my own. To live in his power. And now, it's interesting because we, we get woke. <laughs> we get woked. Is that the Woke is the past of wake, so woked is... Help me, Luann. It's just bad. <clears throat> it's just bad, remember? Yeah. <clears throat> to get woked. <clears throat> 
Hey, a lot, of, a lot of us have been awakened or woked by a serious illness. That'll wake you up. Some of us have been awakened or woked by the loss of a job. Or, or some of us, you remember what, you know what I'm talking about here? You've been woked. <clears throat> I've been woked. To where we suddenly now are woke, awakened from our sleep to our need for a power and strength greater than ourselves. The natural tendency is to go to sleep. The natural tendency <clears throat> is to get settled down. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we create problems. I, I do tell students when they come and ask me to marry them. They say, Dr. Sandra, would you marry us? I said, man, that's weird. I can't. I'm already married. And uh, <laughs> they don't get it, you know. Like, huh? But I say to them, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll talk. But <clears throat> one of the things I need to know about you, have you guys gone through a crisis together yet? Because you don't know who you got here. Now, if you haven't gone through a crisis, I'll create one for you. No. <clears throat> I can do that. Right? Because when you go through a crisis with someone, you get woke. <laughs> and you find out. And so I'm, I'm just trying to end this <clears throat> series that we've been working on for a few weeks with the idea <clears throat> of stay woke. However you're going to do that, <clears throat> if it's pouring coffee in the morning... Um, you know, or it's some other thing that you do. And I want to say that you ritualize it. There's nothing wrong with ritual if it helps you remember, if it helps you sustain. Uh, like another ritual, one of the things I stay woke is I pray this simple prayer every morning. Lord, that I would see you more clearly. Some of you are going to remember this because you're old like me, Godspell. See you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. That's simple. It's easy. It's easy for me to remember. <clears throat> Every morning, I want to see you more clearly today. I want to love you more dearly. And I want to follow you more nearly today. So, so something <clears throat> that keeps you awake. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's something else. But I want to ask you to consider. Stay woke. Stay woke. Put it in your calendar. Put it on a slip of paper that you have to see every day. Put it on the mirror. <clears throat> you know, uh, Whatever. So what do we, how I want to say this is how we're going to, we're going to end this is to stay woke. And I want to suggest you, we're going to look here in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 2. Here's the first one. It's going to work eventually. <clears throat> I want you to stay woke that the Holy Spirit has revealed what is difficult to believe. Now, <clears throat> um, you know, part of my work always is, is to try to constantly, uh, as I study scripture, to keep it in context. I had a professor at seminary that we knew what he meant when he would put on our paper CIE. It meant context is everything. You know, what, 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 this, what this suggests is, is, have you read this in context? Now, I'm going to read this a bit out of context and then try to pull it back in. Because this is a fascinating passage here about the Holy Spirit that I have, you now again, I'm, I'm old, but, you know, I don't listen a lot in church. So uh, I get distracted, you know, uh, you know, lights on, no, uh, to this point, I'm just saying, I've not heard this verse taught in context. Now, again, I, sometimes I don't listen very closely because I get distracted. But here it is. Um, I'm going to start verse 6. And he says, Paul is referring to his Corinthian church. Here. He says, we do speak a wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, that's not of this age nor of the rulers of this age. Um, you might want to underline that because there are at least several possibilities about who those people, who those are. Archie, archierus is the, the Greek term there, which could mean 
um, uh, physical rulers, uh, uh, like, you know, people, governments like that. Uh, but Ephesians 6 also says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and rulers in high places. That Paul also may be referring to the spiritual world, that these rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of, our glory, of his, to his glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of the age understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Just as it's written, the things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and which has not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Every time I've heard that verse referred to, it's been around a graveside. Or it's been around the notion, excuse me, or a time when somebody's about to pass away. It's to say, hey, you're about to go to a place that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's never even Entered into the heart of man. Which, anybody heard it like that but me? Anybody? Anybody awoke today? <laughs> Any of you ever gone to church? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... Is that the way you've heard it? Yeah. That's not it. Watch this. Go to verse 10. For. Now, the word for is the word that suggests evidence. Like, Jesus loves me, this I know. There's the assertion. What's the evidence? For, <clears throat> the Bible tells me so. So we see the word for. You won't find out what it's for there, but it's evidence. So watch what he says. For, so the things that I've not seen, the ears not heard, which not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those living, for to us, God has revealed them through his spirit. Notice that. Them. Pronoun refers to what? Those things referred to earlier. So to us, Paul says, things that have never been seen, never been heard, didn't even enter into the hearts of men, they have been. Notice the past tense. Hey, God has revealed. Do you ever see that? Do you ever notice that? This is again where context is so important. That God has revealed them. Paul is suggesting here. That in the wisdom of God, that's kind of the theme of chapter 2. In the wisdom of God and in the understanding of God, that God has done something that the rulers or the people of this age, through their own wisdom, never were able to figure it out. Go back and read that. He's talking about intellectual wisdom. He's talking about knowledge and understanding. He said there's a wisdom, though, from God that people didn't understand. <clears throat> people didn't understand. And because of that knowledge, we now understand through the work of the Spirit, these things that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and it has never even entered, some, some translations, entered into the heart of man. Paul is trying to say, the wisdom from God is not your IQ or human investigation. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine one time that sometimes we can make the world so the, the word of God so complicated, it's like we want to make people think that unless you have a certain IQ, you can't be a Christian. So it's sort of like we think that it's just a matter of knowledge and understanding. I want to say it this way. And I, if I had time, unpack it. God's wisdom is revelation. Okay? It's not you got to figure it out. In fact, the word in here when he said it's a mystery. <clears throat> Paul uses the word mysterion. If you want to go look at that in Ephesians 3 again. A mystery in Paul's understanding is something that God had hidden that he has now made known. It's not like I'm trying to fake you out. It's not like I'm trying to make you figure this out. 
The mysterion is something that was hidden in the past and now has been made known to everyone. Because Paul is not trying to say God's hiding the ball. He's trying to hide something. He's saying this wisdom that comes from God is revelation. Now here's what I want to try to unpack because as we're working through this, I want you to be impressed today with this notion of what has God through the Spirit revealed to us. Number one, here we go. What no eyes have ever seen. What no eyes have seen. Um, notice what he says there. What, what no eyes have ever seen. This is what God has prepared for us. Um, I want to suggest to you, we're going to look at a couple other passages here. Is that in Paul's mind and thinking, I'm suggesting that what Paul has said here is what no eye has ever seen. Here's where I get it. Is God in the flesh. Had anybody ever seen that before? Had, he, had anybody ever seen that or figured that all out before? Had there ever been anyone who said, there's God in the flesh, there he is right over there? No. What, what, what Paul, I think, is referring to here is that the Spirit has let us know, hey, the Spirit is the one who convinces us and makes us aware that Jesus is who he said he was. Right? That's the Spirit's work to convince us, the Spirit's work to show us, the Spirit's work to enable us to come to the point to say, this is God in the flesh. John 1.14, if you want to reference that, where it says here that the truth here of being revealed that we've never seen is God in the flesh. He, we've seen him, uh, John 1.14. I, I thought about this. My, this way my mind works. Again, ADD, so it may not. But I thought about this. I thought about this picture here. Whoop, <clears throat> this picture here. Um, you, you, you know, unless you're an avid TV, TV watcher, this is Stephen uh, Kulbeck. Uh, who was on Undercover Boss. You ever watch that? Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, Undercover Boss. He is the uh, CEO and chairman of Diamond Resorts and big outfit there in Vegas. And the picture on the right is how he disguised himself to get into the resort area and work with people on an everyday basis. Uh, as he, and you know, the, the, the theme of the show are, is the boss gets in there, you know, gets a job like flipping hamburgers or something, and then gets to know what really is going on. <clears throat> and then at the end of the show, they reveal themselves, hey, I'm the boss, you didn't know it, you treated me so kindly, you know, you were, you were such a great worker, and he rewards them. Uh, Klubeck uh, was involved in this particular thing at the Diamond Resorts, and after uh, he went there and saw how they worked and how they had to, and nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew who he was. At the end of that, he gives $2 million to the workers to set up cancer-saving treatments, an emergency fund for 5,600 employees. And, and uh, he, he said, I realized I couldn't just give a couple of members at my resorts things. I needed to change the culture of the entire company. The crisis fund literally saved lives. A salesman from the Diamond Resorts named Jacob appeared in this special episode dressed in a suit, head full of hair. In the episode, he said, earlier, if you'd have seen me, I was completely bald. And the cancer treatment I was able to receive because of the donation of, of, of Stephen saved my life. See, I think Jesus was an undercover boss. <laughs> I, I think that's what he was. See, nobody had ever seen or imagined that God could become a human being. I mean, let's just, let's, look, we've all been Christians way too long. We've been napping. We need to get woke up. That is a crazy idea. I mean, it's nuts on the, on the surface that God became 
human being. As an undercover boss, he came and revealed himself. In fact, in John 14, 8 to 9, one of my, right, John 14, 8 to 9, to, taking several things out of here. That, the, the thing that's amazed me is that Philip says to Jesus on the last night of his life, he said, Lord, if you'd show us the Father, that'd be enough. You know, Jesus saying all kinds of stuff like I'm leaving and they're, they're freaking out. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Think about that. Think about it. In fact, he says earlier, he said, Philip, have I been with you so long? That you don't know? That, that when you see me, you've seen the Father? I remember being in a service one time listening, and I was awake. I remember hearing that verse in my heart and saying, Cliff, have you looked at this so long? Have you been so familiarized with this that when you look at Jesus, you don't realize you're looking at God in the flesh? If Colossians 3 says, In Him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. And we've got to go back to that some point. We have to understand that, but think about this. What has no eye ever seen that the Spirit is revealing to us? What is, the, uh, what is happening? It's, it's, if you will, it's that God came in the person of a Jewish guy that looked like everybody else who was the Messiah. That's what the Spirit's revealed to you. That's what the Spirit's revealed to me. It's not later, not something in the future. I mean, there's other stuff, I'm sure, that we'll figure out, you know. I, I, I know that, you know, I still don't deny the fact that there are things about the future we don't know and things about life, you know. I, I'm just hoping I don't, I don't have a house on a golf course, you know, in heaven. Yeah, I don't want that. Because they'll come by and ask me, and I'll say, nah, I don't really want to play, you know. I have my friends ask me because I want to feel included, but I never go. I'm sure there are things in the future. There'll be great things, wonderful things that we'll experience. But Paul is saying, God, through the Spirit, has already revealed it. So what would it be that no eye has ever seen? No eye has ever seen God in the flesh. Second thing here, what no ear has ever heard. <clears throat> so he says right here, the, the Spirit's made. So what is it that they've heard? I want to suggest to you that, again, sometimes we've been maybe way too, uh, Christian way too long. And we need to read the Gospels again and we need to kind of inundate ourselves in it. But in reading this, thinking, what, what's no ear ever heard? Let me suggest to you something here. The Gospel is truly a world-changing message. What the world heard that they'd never heard before, that the Spirit uh, testifies to in the hearts of people, is that God... So loved the world. Now, now, why do I say that? I don't know. Why do you hear? <laughs> I, I don't know if you if you, if you study if you if you re reference the history, the context of this. One of the things you would I think discover is that there was no concept in the Greek or Roman gods that they loved anybody. N nobody. In fact, Plato said this. Um, which is, he's kind of the intellectual framework for the West. He and Aristotle and Popeye. You know, he, Popeye was a, you know, I, it's all I can stand. I, that's, a, you know, uh, that's a pretty good cosmology. Uh, uh, that Plato wrote this when he said, the gods are incapable of love. It's just, the gods are incapable of love. 
Because for the gods to be loving means they could be frustrated if somebody didn't love them back. And it would indicate that there's need. I need your affection. I need your love. So this is a radical idea that, if you will, when you look at history and look at the church, it exploded the known world. Why? Because this had not been heard. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is not common. In fact, as you do a little research, one of the things I would say that you could assess about the gods of the Greeks and the Romans is this. You had two things you had to do. You had to appease appease them, and by appeasing them, you hoped you controlled them. So if you're going on a trip, you know, like Oedipus, or not uh, 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 Jason and the Argonauts, that's a good name for a band, but uh, (laughs) told you, ADD. Uh, If you're Jason and the Argonauts, you know, or, or, or Ulysses, you know, you better, you better offer something. You better sacrifice something. And if anything happens, you better sacrifice something else. This, this kind of pagan understanding that there has to be a way to placate, to, to appease, to, to control. This is why in the ancient world, magic is so important. Magic is really the way to control the gods. It's not to get a, a new car. You know, it, it's the, really the way to control the gods. That if you can say the right word or have the right incantation. I say all that to say that, that, that the gospel really is a crazy new idea. I mean, it's completely crazy in that God would love the world. We've lost that. We, you know, we've gone to sleep. We've we got to get woke. We've got to get woke. The original understanding and context that this thing comes out of, the, 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 the milieu or whatever you want to call it, of the gospel... This is brand new. I dare you. Go study it. Go look at it. Go look at history. Look at the Greek and Roman gods. Read Plato. You know, this idea that magic and appeasement, something else they heard. Something else they heard. And and, and so it would be John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's another one that I think the Spirit makes real to us. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me. You who are like my people and are weary. And I'll give you rest. Did your Bible read like that? Come to me, all of you who are like me. Or my tribe, my group. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Not some, not a particular group. We're going to get to this on our last point. Not the right race, not the right family, not the right socioeconomic system, not the right religious practice, not the right diet, not the right clothes. All can come to me who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. I'm just saying, Christianity has a concept, an understanding of telling us something we've never heard before. It's not come get circumcised. It's not start trying this dietary rule that you have to keep or you can't be in. It's not go to this certain place to worship or you're out of good graces. It's all of you can come to me who are weary and heavy. Think of the rigid restrictions that most religions have. You can't just come. I would say this, that in many ways, the gospel is not restrictive. It's incredibly open. All who are weary and heavy laden 
come to me. Another one, nobody, in Romans 10, 11 to 13, where Paul makes these statements, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 11 to 13. All who call on me will be saved. Nobody heard that before. It wasn't an all. It was a if you do this and if you do this and if you do this, then you can be in. Or if you go to this particular diet or you do this particular activity. Paul's saying, the Spirit's revealed this to us. Nobody heard this. This was not common knowledge or common understanding in Jesus' day. Again, we've kind of gone to sleep on it. We've napped. Then this last one, this one I want to spend a little more time on than the other ones. What has not entered any heart? Now, I'm still looking at um, 1 Corinthians 2. Notice where it says, And which have not entered into the heart of man. Uh, the word entered here uh, doesn't mean to just kind of like I'm entering a room. It, it, it literally means to go up. To go up. To ascend. Now, this is my translation. This is my concept. It's not simply go, not enter a room or enter a place. It's to go up, to ascend. And what I'm going to suggest is when it says this, what's not entered in your heart, is I'm going to say here, is it's not entered the imagination of anyone. It's not, it's not entered the imagination. I mean, it would be part of this. It would never enter our imagination that God would become like us. Not tell us, you come to be me, you come to the mountain and you come see me, but I'm coming to where you are. That would have entered our thoughts. Or that, or that God would be so loving and so inclusive that he would say, anybody can come to me. Regardless, if, you know, the characteristic is not, did you do the right thing? Are you weary and tired? That's it. That's all you got to have. If you're weary and tired... It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your diet. It doesn't matter where you worship. If you're weary and tired, you come to me. That had not entered the imagination of you and me. So I'm suggesting the heart idea here, ascending into the heart, has to do with the imagination. Let me tell you why I think that. Now, you called your finger down. I want to go to Isaiah 53, just for a second. A very familiar passage a very familiar passage in the Old Testament that relates to Jesus and his work and ministry. Because I want to suggest, and maybe I'm telling more on myself than on you, maybe you're healthier, or maybe you're, you know, whatever. But I want to suggest to you, at least it seems to me, and students I've worked with and people I've worked with, that our imagination tends to create a God who's ticked off with us. And that if things bad happen to us, it's just that we're getting what we, right? Anybody's mind go that way besides mine? Yeah, that, that's kind of the way our imagination goes. It, it just moves in that direction. Now watch this in Isaiah 53. Um, and this is all related to Jesus. You know, the, the gospel writers take this and refer to him. Who has believed our message? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up. Before him, like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground, he had no stately form or majesty. So you figure a God's going to come. There's going to be stately form, majesty, 
you know, he's going to be uh, the, somewhere the equivalent between, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Albert Einstein. You know, gonna, somewhere in there. Brilliant and awesome. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. The appearance that we would be attracted to him. Again, this, nobody would imagine a God looking like this. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we, esteem, we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Isaiah saying here, when, when we saw Jesus like this, what did we imagine? It's right there at the end of verse 4. What did we imagine? Huh? He was smitten and afflicted by God. How many people do you know, because it's never entered into their heart, that when something bad happens, it's always God's judgment? It's always God getting even. It's always God doing something to settle the balances of nature and world. And we live with that in our heart because it's never entered our imagination that this is the kind of God we're dealing with who bore our sins, who took our sorrows, who was willing to deal with all of that when people esteemed Him not, where they didn't look at Him as something wonderful, and He carried our sins anyway. Never would enter the imagination. Now I'm going to move on. Does that make sense to you? Because we esteem when we see people having trouble or even our own life when things begin to happen, our imagination takes right off it. Well, wait a minute. Well, you know, I, I said that bad thing to somebody the other day. Or, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I didn't uh, pay all my tithe. I kept, you know, some of it back. Or, you know, any number of things. Where's our imagination go? And that's what I'm saying. The Spirit has revealed to us what would have never entered our heart. It would have never entered our imagination. This is why the gospel is such crazy good news. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Baptist preacher in England, used to say that if you as a preacher or teacher don't get accused every once in a while of this, hey, pastor, preacher, teacher, that's really good. I like that, but that's just too good to be true. He said, if you don't get that every once in a while, you're not preaching the gospel. I asked myself, so how many times have I preached the gospel? How many times have I preached the gospel to say this kind of imagination that I have is being overtaken by the Spirit that's saying, this hasn't ever entered in the heart of cliff. I've got to reveal this to you. I don't know about you. My imagination is about the most unreliable part of me. Right? Don't you be looking at me like that, smirking. Don't you be looking at me like that. Right? My imagination is about the most unreliable part. It's never entered into my imagination that God would be like this. That we esteem Him stricken and smitten. He's actually God working in our behalf. I'm going to ask you to consider here as we get toward the end of a minute. To take charge of your imagination. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 says, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
casting down vain imaginations and everything that raises itself up against, listen to this now, the knowledge of God. You hear it again? We are, ca- we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Hey, is this thought obeying Jesus? Nope, then cast, take it captive. Casting down vain imaginations and everything that rises itself against the knowledge of God. I mean, even if it came from your grandma, <laughs> even if it came from your church, even if it came from some knuckle-headed Sunday school teacher, you know? Hey, I tell my students all the time, everybody's right to their, have their opinion, but nobody's, or everybody's entitled to have their own opinion, but nobody's entitled to be wrong with the facts. So, you know, I, if, if, if this isn't right, if it, forget it. But it appears to me that what Paul is saying, the Spirit through revelation is trying to reveal to things to us that would have never entered our imagination. Hey, you know, I don't want to sound harsh here, but for all of us, God's a lot bigger than we think. And I think He's a lot better than we think. I don't think he's just human humanity point two oh. Now I'm going to dig around here for a little bit. Because <clears throat> I want to take you to a couple of verses. Uh, go to your table of contents. <clears throat> go to the book of Hebrews. Eleven forty eight. Now, I'm about to share a couple of ideas. I want to remind you the thoughts and opinions of this teacher, not necessarily the thoughts and opinions of Crossing's Committee Church, its elders or leadership. Okay, that's a fact. Because <clears throat> I, I, I want to say that for this time. I'm going to share a couple of verses with you. I've done this before. I would not believe what I'm about to say if it wasn't in the Bible. It sounds nutty to me. Okay. It sounds nutty to me because it's never entered my imagination that God could be like this. I have to rely on a revelation. You have to decide. Is it going to be imagination or revelation? Which is it? Notice here in chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. It's one of the reasons why our students, we, we make them take the book of Hebrews. We say, you have to work through this book. If you've never studied it, you ought to. I'm going to hurry here in verse 14 where it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, this is speaking of Jesus, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to those who are the descendants of Abraham. And that's an understanding of Romans 4, that those who live by faith are the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he made, therefore, look at this now. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for sin. A friend of mine asked me this. He had to? He had to? Okay, here we go again. The thoughts and opinions of this teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the church. It's elders' leadership. I'm going to show you here in a second in, Romans, in, in, in Hebrews 5. 
There is something about God. I know that you may hit the doors. That is incomplete. That Jesus completes. Jesus can now be a merciful high priest. Where before he could not. Why? Look back up there. What did he do? He took his share or partook in flesh and blood. Don't get this abstract idea of God that he knows everything and he's experienced everything. No, 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 no. This God has revealed himself that by taking upon flesh and blood, he now can be merciful and faithful. That's, that's going to bend your brain a little bit, okay? So let's go to Hebrews 5 for a second, just to back it up. <clears throat> Hebrews 5. Uh, in Hebrews 5, verse 7, this, I'm saying in the book of Hebrews, there's a picture of Jesus. And if it, if I, I wouldn't believe it, except it's in the Bible. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, he's offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made, what does it say there in verse 9? Perfect. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. The Greek word there, perfect, comes from teleos, which means to be made complete. Just get your brain on this for a minute. Is it in fact true that Jesus was imperfect in his ability to identify, to experience, and to know what it means to be a human? You know what? Let me ask you this question. How many of you uh, knew you wanted children? How many of you knew what it was like to raise children before you had children? <laughs> you now have a PhD in children. <laughs> Why? You experienced it. Listen now, get rid of these Greek and Roman ideas about God. This abstract, unmoved mover who's up there pulling the switches and saying, I know you're going to do that. I know you're going to do that. Get rid of this abstract understanding of God and see this God who submits himself to human experience, gets down in the arena and is sweating and struggling as a human being. It's crazy. I wouldn't believe it. Except it's in the Bible. Get your head around that for a little bit. Never entered the imagination of man that God is like this. I told you, sometimes when I pray, because I believe this. I believe that Jesus experienced a fullness that he had never known. He had experienced a completion right here. He was made perfect. He was made perfect. And having been made perfect well, through suffering, through crying. Sometimes I'll pray this. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, he was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. I, I don't, I, my prayer life has got to where I don't have to inform God of a lot of things. Have you grown there to that? You know, now God, you know our, our deal here. And I'm giving him all these details. It's like a friend of mine said to me one day, he already knows. <laughs> yeah, he knows. And I understand there's a place for that to, 
I'll say this sometimes. When I just can't figure it out, I'll just say this. Jesus, remember. Jesus, remember. You know what I'm struggling with? You did too. Somehow it says he was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. You don't have to tell him about it. Maybe remind him that you remember, that he remembers. Because it's in his incarnation that something happens in my judgment to the Trinity that had never happened before. A complete involvement and participation and what it means to be human. That would never enter my heart. Would that have entered yours? You know, we were talking to our centered group some time ago. I told him, I said, I'm going to go to that group, but I'm not talking. Because I need to go to places where I listen. You know, besides the Becky. And we're talking about one section, I forget what it was. And I, again, I'm trying to be quiet because I, I really don't listen. People are smart. They're sharing good things. And so I said, well, could Jesus have actually sinned? And everybody said, no. And I said, oh, no, no, that's not true. If he couldn't have sinned, this is kabuki theater. You, 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 gotta, you have a Greek or a Roman understanding of God here. You bet he could have. Well, that just kind of tore the thing up, which I am sometimes accustomed to do. <laughs> kind of like I got, I got a couple of friends like that. They like to do that. Yeah, he could have. Why? Go read Colossians chapter 2. He emptied himself. It's called the kenosis theory. Although being in the flesh, he emptied himself. Took upon the form of a human being, a servant, it says right there. Took upon the form of a servant. He, he didn't take advantage of anything there. So can you imagine this? I can't. I cannot imagine this. So it's imagination or revelation. Which will it be? Maybe for you, it's something you would say, man, when I think about it, nobody has ever seen this. Nobody ever has seen this. When I, when I think about it, you know, I'm waking up. I'm, I'm getting woked. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard this. That all could come. You know, there was a place in the Gospels where they said some, some religious leaders went and heard Jesus. And, and when they come back, they say, man, no man has ever spoken like this. When you listen to Jesus in the Gospel, you're hearing stuff nobody's ever heard before. Not in that world. Or are, are you in the area saying, you know, my imagination's got to get tightened up. This is hard to imagine, you bet. No, nobody. But he says, but the Spirit has revealed it. So which one for you? So I'm going to ask you to pick one. What if this week you pick one of these? How will you allow the Spirit to reveal this one matter to you as you reflect on God's revelation in His Word? How, how will you do that? 
I'm going to finish with one more thing real quick. I told you, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop here in just a minute. Or two. Or five. Or seven. No, no, you're real. I, I want to talk about this fact. That the Holy Spirit is also the agent to create fellowship. I just want to brief, go to your table of contents. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Holy Spirit is the agent. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13. It's 1085. And then you go and find chapter 13. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. Did I say first? Is that first? No, 2 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> At the end of Paul's letter to a crazy church. Now, I'm just going to tell you, it was pretty nutty. When people say, oh, let's return to the early church. I go, not the one in Corinth. I don't go to that church. It's nuts. I mean, there's all kind of crazy stuff. I mean, there's lawsuits, disunity, uh, <clears throat> immorality, uh, arguing over things. So Paul, here, here's the end. So verse, I'm going to end at uh, chapter, I'm, I'm going to pick it up at, at 13 and 14, at the last chapter. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want <clears throat> to hurry, hurry along here to say, that Paul's kind of ending of that is saying, because there's so many problems. I mean, again, go back and read First and Second Corinthians. It's a mess. Lawsuits, division, immorality, uh, <clears throat> fighting over spiritual gifts, uh, understanding about the resurrection, all kinds of things. What does Paul say? Hey, I, I'm just appealing the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word fellowship means to have in common. Probably the word koinonia. Koine or koine means, means common. And onia means to dwell in common. And he's saying, what is it that creates this commonness? It's the Holy Spirit. It's this to have in common. This church is, is just ripped apart. But to have in common now that the Holy Spirit creates this fellowship. I'm going to jump over some notes here, but I, I, I just want to suggest a couple things. The church had problems, no, no question, early church. But you, you, we ought to think about what is it that brings fellowship and causes us to be one? There's a lot of research I've been reading recently. And, and one of the things when you think about it is this way. Remember, the Jews are now and Gentiles are in this church. Jew and Gentile. Now, there's some struggles and questions they, they've had to work them out. But the, the leaders of that church have said, Jew and Gentile, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, bond nor, or, or male nor female, but all are one, Christ Jesus. Think, think about this, putting those two groups together. I mean, you know this, but Jews would pray almost every day. There's some suggestion of the Talmud or others. I thank you, God, you didn't creep me this day, a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. That's a fun group to be with, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, every morning, that's your prayer time. Or, 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 you, or in the Talmud, these things are written. That mothers, Jewish mothers, uh, curse the dead when they pass by a non-Jewish cemetery. That's what they're instructed to do. You're to curse the dead when you go by a non-Jewish cemetery. That in Leviticus, the words of the love your neighbor as yourself was to say that the only person who was your neighbor was a Jew. Now think about that. They weren't getting along with the Gentiles until the Holy Spirit began to put them together to say, you're one. But even at that, I thought, well, you know, you say, well, that's big. But the Jews couldn't get along with each other. 
the Pharisees hated the Sadducees because the Pharisees believed in the supernatural and the Sadducees were sad, you see. <laughs> You'll never forget this because they didn't believe in the supernatural, right? See, that's a corny theology joke. Yeah, because the, the Sadducees didn't believe in angels or the afterlife. Man, they were dug in politically. They believed this world was it. They couldn't go. The Essenes left Jerusalem because everybody was all goofed up, went to the Dead Sea because everybody else was too liberal. The Zealots hated the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they weren't political as they were to, to throw the Romans out. They couldn't get along with each other. And Paul says, with that kind of division, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wade in here just for a minute. <clears throat> One of the things that rocked the ancient world and caused the Christian gospel to go forward at supersonic speed was they saw in this fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor. It was a living testament to the work of God in the souls and hearts of people. Today in America, you might know this statement. It comes from Martin Luther King. It says, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is still the most segregated hour of the week. Still. You know, uh, diversity, whatever you want to call it, is more than race. It's socioeconomic. It's cultural, urban, rural. But according to the statistics, 8% of the churches in America are culturally diverse. 8%. Now the question is, you know, are you going to just try to be a social justice warrior, Cliff? No, I'm just asking myself, in my own life, in my own experience, is my experience with others more cultural or more Christ-centered? Is it the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you what, in the church of God, you're part of a group. You probably don't know who they are. You know, we used to call it the church to God. Uh, whenever I was growing up, everybody kept saying, you know, you're the church of God. That sounds like a weird. There's about 327 different church of gods in America. Some of them handle snakes. We don't, just to put your mind at ease. <clears throat> just to put your mind at ease. Yeah, I mean, it's wild, you know. But, but I remember, as I've studied our history, that when you look back in the, our, our group, one of the things that distinguished the church of God was a heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this as a fact. That in the early parts of the church of God, over 40% of our pastors were women. 2% are women now. It's my understanding that the church of God that started in Oklahoma City was started by a female evangelist in the church of God that got off a train and just started preaching. You know? Women were part of our incredible leadership. Because we, I said to the elders one time, I nearly got thrown out of the elder meeting. I said, look, the reason we're like that is we're charismatic, guys. Now, a bunch of those Presbyterians are going like, what? <laughs> listen. Listen. We believe grace more than gender. 
We believe in grace, not race. We've, in the church of God, I mean, this has been our heritage and our history. I, I work with students and try to help them to understand that, that the church needs to look like all of God's people. And I'm not trying to, to make us think, we're, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I wish I did. I know I need to say something about it. That we tend to get located in our own little cultural ghetto bubble. And I'm not saying you have to go find a person that's different than you so you can say, see, I'm, I'm diverse. You know? I'm not saying that's stupid. I'm just saying, how is your life working its way out? Let me, let me tell you about the, the church of God. I just want to tell you a little bit about them real quick. Um, over the years, <clears throat> this gender thing with women, I mean, it's incredible. We, it, my dad pastored a church in Ohio, right out of Cleveland. It was a monster church, huge. He came. That church <clears throat> had been pastored for 40 years by a lady and the next 40 by her daughter. <laughs> my dad was the first male pastor of that church in 100 years. And he tore it up. No, 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 he didn't. 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 You know, I told you, my dad was such an example. My dad just never saw race. He never saw ethnicity. He never saw people as other than just people. I told you before, a guy in our church, my dad had found this old Mercedes. Got a great deal. I think he really probably committed a sin because the dealer didn't know what he had. My dad didn't let him know. So my dad buys this Mercedes. It's an older, but it's nice. So one of the guys at our church who's the town idiot. I mean, he's a town idiot. There's no other way to say that. His name is Omer. He comes to my dad's office and says, can you take me to the vet? My pet pig is sick. My dad says, okay. So my dad's in his Mercedes driving down Main Street of our town with Omer in the front seat with a pig in a box. <laughs> my dad's pastor of a thousand-member church. My dad used to say to me, you see when you see those little kids that are dirty? You see those little kids that are poor? You see those little kids that aren't like you? That was your old man growing up in West Texas. We moved every time the rent was due. Don't you ever forget that? We did some bus ministry. We took kids into the neighbor, went into the city and brought in children from African-American homes and Hispanic, and white, you name it. And we lived in southeast Texas, which was a really rough area for racism. And the people came to my dad one time and said, we don't like those people in our church. I wish my dad was still alive there. I could hug his neck. Because he said, then you're going to have to find you another church. Hit the bricks. I think, say it this way, the world is looking at us to say, can you guys pull this off? Where there's diversity, ethnicity, where there's, where there's socioeconomic, and Marty said this from the point, and I, and I, and I, he said it doesn't matter what you drive or what you have when you come in this church, we're all at the foot of the cross. I, I, can, I affirm that. We just got to be careful. 
It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, not the fellowship that you agree with me. It's not the fellowship that we all live in the same neighborhood. It's not the fellowship that we all have the same background. This, this fellowship, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, poor and rich, it's bigger than that because we're united by the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you one real, real quick story. Uh, Marty talked about that day because James Earl Massey, who just died, James Earl was an African-American pastor, the dean of our seminary in Anderson. He just died. Christianity Today wrote him up, I mean, not like a ticket, but I mean, wrote him up as one of the top 100 preachers of the 20th century. James Earl was a titan in our tribe. He was looked upon not with his race, but his grace. We saw James Earl, and I could tell you, Ed Fogg, Sam Hines, Cheryl Sanders, uh, all these other great leaders. I'm just telling you, you're in a church or a group that's placed a high value. Doesn't matter what you look like, it's do you have the Spirit? Paul said the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let me read you, I told you a couple of minutes, right? Listen, this is one of our, our first songs. Where is it? <clears throat> I got it here. So talk among yourselves. <laughs> oh, here we go. <clears throat> yeah, it's the third verse. We used to have this on every church of God sign. Not the whole thing. I'll give it to you. The day of sex and creeds for us forevermore is past. Our brotherhood are all the saints upon the world so vast. We reach our hands in fellowship to every blood-washed one while love entwines around each heart in which God's will is done. Oh, church of God, the day of Jubilee has dawned. So, some of these old church of God people, right? Y'all starting to sing over there? I can hear you. I got some old church of God people over here. They know this hymn. Oh, church of God, the day of Jubilee has dawned so bright and glorious for thee. Rejoice, be glad the shepherd has begun his long divided flock again together into one. That's who we are. And I'm telling you, the miracle of that church at Pentecost was what caused people to sit up and take note. And the miracle of the church in the 21st century is either going to have people sit up straight and look at that and say, what in the world is going on? I mean, Democrats and Republicans are even there, right? Brother. Right? They'll sit up. And they'll say, you guys treat each other like equals. See, tolerance is a stupid word for a Christian. It's love. I don't want you to tolerate me. I don't want to tolerate you. It's love. So would you with me? Let's pray as we end. Lord Jesus, we've uh, worked over this thing on the Holy Spirit and since Pentecost and bringing this kind of an end. And so... We're asking you to woke us up. Woke us up. Keep us woke. Keep woking us. Don't let us go to sleep. And would you, by your grace, help us to be the kind of church that the world sets up and notices, sets up straight and sees some things that are happening here that aren't happening anywhere else. We need your help. We're all kind of 
locked into our own little circles and we're just trapped sometimes. Help us. In Jesus' strong name, amen.